0: Hey, this is Rob. I have a short message for Crazy Town listeners. I want to let you know about a new podcast from our gang here at Post Carbon Institute. It's called Holding the Fire. For this podcast, we got to work with the award winning journalist and author Dar Jamal, who interviews indigenous leaders around the world on some pretty heavy topics. Dar is searching for ideas and wisdom from indigenous communities that have had to reckon with social and environmental breakdown. We're loading up the first episode here in Crazy Town right now. In it, Dar explains how he came to be on this search, and he previews the guests he'll be interviewing over the course of the season. I really hope you'll give it a listen, and if you like it, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app. Now, here is... Holding the Fire Indigenous Voices on the Great Unraveling.
1: Welcome to Holding the Fire Indigenous Voices on the Great Unraveling. I'm your host, Dar Jamail. This podcast is about bringing forward the perspectives of indigenous communities from around the world, as all of us, humans and more than humans alike, reckon with the consequences of a global industrial society built on growth, extraction, and colonialism. A long, winding path has led me to hosting this podcast. Like many people, I have been horrified, outraged, and heartbroken repeatedly by what is happening in the world. My path began when I watched the government of the United States invade and destroy the country of Iraq, basing a war on what had already been shown in advance to be lies and propaganda. Outraged by the actions of the government and corporate media in the country where I live, I threw myself onto the front lines of the occupation in Iraq so I could see what was happening with my own eyes. My initial trip to Baghdad unfolded into a decade of war reporting the bodies of women and small children killed in fallujah haunt me to this day i believed albeit naively that i could help in an occupation that killed more than 1 million iraqis another marker on the path that led me here was the bp oil disaster in the gulf of mexico growing up in houston texas some of my fondest childhood memories were with my grandparents on the coast of galveston to this day I have vivid memories of walking on the beach with them while we look for shark's teeth in seashells, as well as going swimming in the surf. So when BP negligently released millions of gallons of oil into that ecosystem, I took it personally. I spent years reporting on what became the single largest man-made disaster in U.S. history, filing dozens of stories about untold numbers of dead marine animals, birds, other wildlife, and humans that were killed, and continue to die from BP's chemicals. I thought my work would help bring justice to BP and a corporate-controlled government that allowed this to happen. Again, like with Iraq, I was devastated that this did not come to pass and left simmering in my own anger. Yet, feeling obliged to continue to do what I could, my reporting then transitioned into the global climate crisis— which I covered extensively for another decade, culminating in my book, The End of Ice, bearing witness and finding meaning in the path of climate disruption. Research for that book took me to some far-flung places, from visiting with the late Dr. Thomas Lovejoy in Camp 41 deep in the Amazon rainforest, to floating above a bleaching Great Barrier Reef in Australia, to camping atop receding glaciers in the Alaska Range, and to Miami Beach a city that will more than likely be underwater before the end of this century. My hope was that by showing people how far along we already are in the climate crisis, they would react accordingly, and governments would be forced to do the right thing and begin an emergency response to mitigate and adapt to the crisis. But four years after the publication of that book, the crisis continues to accelerate far beyond the worst-case projections. All of these experiences led me into deep grief. Rage, frustration, depression, sadness, and despair became constant companions for me. My friend Joanna Macy, author, echo philosopher, and teacher of the work that Reconnects, calls the collapse of this unsustainable way of life and all the suffering that comes with it, the great unraveling. She also points out how this unraveling precedes the great turning, which will be a vital creative response and a wholesale revisioning of our values and perceptions towards the earth. Through this journey, I came to see that those in power are incapable or unwilling of moving away from our current course, where the destruction of nature, the pursuit of resources and profit, and the disregard for life itself is leading us to ruin. We would have to look elsewhere for guidance and leadership. Amidst all of this, a dear friend of mine, Stan Rushworth, suggested we talk with Indigenous people. Given that Indigenous populations around the world have been experiencing collapse, genocide, erasure, and racism, among other traumas, for millennia, his suggestion made perfect sense. That idea led us to co-edit a book titled We Are the Middle of Forever, where we interviewed 20 different Indigenous persons. While working on that book, I settled into a new sense of calm, and I developed a deeper sense of purpose as I began to understand and adopt indigenous values. I listened to people who had been through the complete collapse of their worlds, but who were also continuing to do great work. They didn't have false hope. They knew better than anyone what was being done to the planet and to people on the margins of society. Yet here they were, leading the way through the current polycrisis in a calm, dignified, reverent way, simply by living by Indigenous values as they always had. I had little idea how desperate I had become for this entirely different perspective, not just on what's happening in the world, but on life itself. Stan and I hoped our book would bring the same sense of calm and purpose we felt while working on it to those who would read it, and that has certainly been the feedback we've received. While he and I focused on Turtle Island, this podcast spans the globe, as what we face is a global crisis. So our team set out to hear voices from every continent. It has been my honor and privilege to speak with, and most importantly, to listen to these remarkable people. As the great unraveling deepens, we need as many people as possible to wake from the false destructive dream of growth and progress and embrace a different, deeper way of knowing and being. The voices we featured on Holding the Fire are pointing humanity back to our collective heart. Our hope is that after listening to these amazing people, you'll be moved to become part of the weaving of the different future that we need. Several common themes emerge from our conversations, ranging from deep connection with earth to the horrific impacts of colonization to resilience in the face of suffering. Dr. Anne Polina from Australia had this to say about getting back to valuing what is most important for all of us.
2: So what we're saying as Indigenous people, not just in my country, but around the world where we've held on to these last bastions of biodiversity, we're saying this is the lifeblood of the planet. These last places that we have protected and held on to under much pressure, strife, continual invasion and unjust development. We really need to look at how do we change the value and realize that it is nature that sustains our well-being, nature that gives us the oxygen, nature that creates the rivers of life, nature that creates all of those things in abundance that we need to sustain ourselves as human beings on this planet.
1: Anne also reminds us of the critical importance of listening to Indigenous people at this moment in history.
2: What we must do is come together and stop discounting the ancient wisdom of Indigenous people, of First People, of First Nations people across the globe because we have lived with the Anthropocene in the past, particularly in my country, and we have shaped that. So we were living always in a symbiotic relationship. So what we're saying is that, Western thinking, Western thought, top-down leadership and governance, which has become toxic, must have a pause, must listen to this ancient wisdom, because this is the ancient wisdom that can teach us how to see and be in the world a different way.
1: Aslak Holmberg, an indigenous Sami who lives on the Diatnu River on the border of Norway and Finland, shares his perspective of how things have gotten to this point of crisis. I
3: think this is a clear result of an ideology that is already from the start doomed to fail. Because if you build something on unsustainability, then, then it will crash at one point. And, and we are at that point when when ecosystems are crashing and when the whole global climate is starting to to,
1: to collapse. Given this... Of course, I was hoping to learn more about how indigenous people were dealing with the grief and trauma from all they have lived through, yet still managing to live from their hearts. It was this question that led me to Galina Angarova from the Lake Baikal region of Siberia.
4: Understanding the human condition, understanding suffering, knowing our place on this beautiful and fragile planet, having our hearts broken, hurting, grieving, healing, and always always having hope that we can overcome and thrive. It's all of it. This is why we're here. How can I be the best version of myself, given the story I was born with and lived, and what can I do with it? It's living the best way that I can, allowing life to happen to me, guided by my heart, caring for others, leaving behind something important, after I'm long gone, and that's how I try to live those values that came from my ancestors and my grandmother. And that's what the land has been teaching us all along.
1: It is also refreshing to hear folks discuss the disparity between their traditional ways of life compared to so-called modern society. Selene Lim, an indigenous Kayan from the Baram area in Sarawak, Malaysia, spoke to this.
5: Contemporary society tells me the more I consume, the happier I am. But when I go back into the communities, the more that we we give back or the more that we replenish. And when we allow ourselves to actually live uh, according to a flow, that is when you are the happiest, when you find yourself being a part of a whole.
1: I also hope to hear more from those with deep connection to the land where they are from. And every single person I spoke with shared beautiful stories about this. Here is Sam Orlando, a Lu'o man who is a human rights defender and community organizer from Kenya, who spoke to this.
6: In my community,
1: land is on the basis of identity. It gives you identity and it gives you a home. That land, we connect land with our ancestors. If this is where I buried my forefathers, then uh, I've got a social attachment to it. So that when you are doing compensation, when you are doing mega infrastructure development programs, then compensation can not only be in terms of monetary compensation, but also must pay attention to the social attachment that I have to my piece of land. I've become fascinated to learn as much as I can about these deeper connections to the earth. Because as we heard earlier... It's our disconnection from Earth that is the root cause of all the problems we're facing today. Patty Gualinga, an indigenous rights defender and foreign relations leader of the Quechua people of Sarayaku, an indigenous community based in the Ecuadorian Amazon, spoke directly to this.
6: Papa era un huyacha, un shaman, y era muy respetuoso de todas las espiritualidades. So his dad was a
3: shaman and he was always saying that we have different paths, different ways, but there is one spirit like connects everybody, you know, the spirituality is just one. But we can arrive to different paths, different religions, different things, different believings, but we are connected in that big thing together. So the Sarayaku people recognize that the forest, the jungle, the Amazonia, it's alive the amazonia is alive and we need to respect that that the amazonia feel too you know the trees the animals that it's something that it's alive and there is like these protectors like they're not like real persons but they are just like these energies that protect the forest they recognize that they have that that they have these protectors around and it's connected to the earth to protect people. You no, know? it's just like they are protecting people because Amazonia is still alive. It's just like it's different. You no, know? it's not that they are trees. They are stones. They are no. It's protecting a uh, life together. They have this cosmovision to protect the earth.
1: It is also important to remember that indigenous populations around the globe have borne the brunt of the suffering not only from the climate crisis, but from colonialism and imperialism. In the case of Alson Kellen and the indigenous people of the Marshall Islands, after surviving the incredible amount of nuclear weapons tested where they live, now they are facing yet another existential threat, the climate crisis.
5: Now, for us, we don't just get sick. We lost our identity. We lost our land. We lost a culture that was given to us by God. So we're living in a place where practically we cannot, you know, survive a long time. And I always tell people that nuclear testing, we sacrifice, we sacrifice our life, our land, our culture to the good of mankind, to bring peace to the world. And now, The next thing in line is climate change, which will relocate us from our country. First, the nuclear testing relocate us from our islands, but the next is climate change will relocate us from our country.
1: Indigenous populations around the world have survived the aforementioned onslaughts by continuing to serve out of a deep sense of obligation rather than focusing on their rights. In this sacred yet pragmatic way, People like Shoba Liban, a Burana woman in Kenya, are living examples of this for all of us.
6: Hoping for the best is not good enough. For me, like uh, what I believe in, I should do whatever I believe I want to do. I want to continue doing. Like I said, if I can't do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. But I make sure I have planned, I have written those issues that I want to accomplish. I continue doing it, doing it, doing it until I see succeeding. At times, I also wonder how I manage to do that. But I think it is being focused and believing in yourself. So whoever has a problem, because even in uh, Africa, right now there are a lot of challenges in terms of mental health. There are a lot of unemployment. Cost of living is very high. Others are even taking their lives, but... If you talk to each other, you have networks, you, you, you talk over the radio, local radios, you you visit each other. like for example, in our case, you cannot uh, miss to go to people's funeral. If you are around that area, in marriage, we support each other. So at least that that kind of thing has supported how, how we, we manage our crisis.
1: All of this leads us to finding a way to be in this world, not just as a means of survival, but something far deeper than that. How to find true belonging and true community with both humans and the more-than-human world. For it is only when we are part of a vibrant, reciprocal community of like-minded and like-hearted kin are we able to be of the most service. Only then are we able to have the commitment necessary to serve the planet during this time of the great unraveling. This topic is part of Dr. Uriah Saledwin's lifelong focus. Uriah, a native of indigenous Nahua and Maya descent from Chiapas, Mexico, conducts research that converges the vibrant threads of indigenous studies, cultural psychology, and contemplative science.
7: We need commitment. We need commitment, we need community, we need to create spaces of trust. But for that, you know, there's tremendous work that we need to be doing. But I don't think that any of that work will be possible should we not have that commitment. That commitment that no matter how challenging, And tremendously difficult it will be to reckon with these narratives and to dismantle these narratives. Because, you know, seeing the horror in the eye of all these narratives that we live by comes with tremendous understanding. It would leave us very fragile, very vulnerable, and, and most, of course, are not willing to do that because... We don't feel safe. But if we are able to stand the heat and create these spaces, if we commit to do this kind of work for the benefit of the planet, then we may be able to learn that we can fly.
1: Then we are faced with the challenge of maintaining perspective on the polycrisis. How do we do this, given the relentless nature of bad news on all fronts? Pain, suffering, and death are everywhere one looks, and things only continue to worsen. Lila June Johnston, a woman of Navajo, Cheyenne, and European lineages who lives in New Mexico, offers a perspective that changes the entire paradigm of our current predicament.
5: The polycrisis and the convergence of crises and the collapse that we are learning about and experiencing, uh, that, that crisis happened a long time ago, actually. It's manifesting now, but this crisis has been going on since 1492. For example, like, are we reaping what we've sown? Maybe the, the, the collapse is fruiting now, but didn't we plant it a long time ago? And why are we so shocked that this is happening? <laughs> you know, like, We've been saying this for centuries. It's almost like Creator was giving us Nine lives, you know, He's, it's like we were acting a fool and he, and he was patient and was like, okay, well, let me give you another chance. And we did it again and again and again. Kept brutalizing each other, kept brutalizing the earth. And it's like the earth can only take so much. I mean, the fact that she's even lasted this long is incredible with the amount of brutality and the amount of abuse She's very resilient. She can actually absorb a lot of abuse. She can handle a lot of insanity, but only to a certain point, you know? And at a certain point, we can't go on like this. And so in in that sense, to me, the collapse has, is almost like overdue, you know, like, like the crisis started a long time ago. And if if this is what it takes to, to, to sit our butts down and be like, no, you cannot do this anymore. Period. Find another way. And if you don't, I'm gonna force you to. If that's what it takes, then so be it, because we've been having we've been having a ball, just being extremely disrespectful to her and to each other with no consequences whatsoever. And so, in that sense, it's not such a radical reframing at all. It's almost like a no-brainer, like what did we expect? Extracting her, treating her like a slave, you know, treating the soil like it's, it's, it's just here for our benefit.
1: Having had the opportunity to speak with each of these remarkable people, the fundamental way I perceive, feel, and experience the Great Unraveling has been changed. Hosting this podcast has been a journey of heart and mind, one that has taken me deeper in both understanding, feeling, and awareness of what these times are asking from each of us. I trust that by listening with your heart, you will have a similar experience. As the Great Unraveling deepens, We need as many people as possible to wake from the false, destructive dream of growth and progress, and embrace a different, deeper way of knowing and being. The voices we featured on Holding the Fire are pointing humanity back to our collective heart. Our hope is that after listening to these amazing people, you will be moved to become part of the weaving of the different future we need. Welcome to the podcast.
4: Have you ever felt alone in the shadow
6: of your home? Oh, have you ever felt like you could fall and slip right through? Oh, oh, heart oh. and oh. hope oh. Oh. to oh. die that monster in
1: the eye. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Dar Jamail. Melody Travers Allison, Asher Miller, and Rob Dietz. Theme music is Hold That Spirit by Ray Zaragoza. Transition music by Lila June Johnston. This is a program of the Post Carbon Institute, and you can learn more about this podcast, along with other information on the great unraveling at resilience.org.